Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. I'm Tunde Gunlana. We have a special guest here on Disruption, Rianca Dorsonville, who is a, a financial planner. She's an entrepreneur. Um, and she's found her way, really kind of found her voice through some struggles that she had originally in corporate America. And she's here to really talk about her journey, her struggle and her path to having some success, being an entrepreneur, being a financial planner. And we, and we want to discuss why it's so important, particularly for people of color to know about these things, to make sure that we are planning for the future. Because a lot of people don't like to talk about money. They don't like to talk about what's going to happen if I die. Those are uncomfortable conversations, but very necessary conversations that our community needs to have. So I feel excited that we can have this opportunity. So first of all, Rianca, I want to thank you for coming on. Yes, thank you for having me. It's good to have you. So you have uh, essentially three brands. Your greatest contribution is your firm, uh, 2050 Trailblazers, Trailblazers, which is her podcast. We encourage you to listen, uh, particularly if you want to know about how to make better financial decisions. Uh, please listen. And she also has a consulting firm, RRD Consulting, where she uh, does speaking and consulting. So once again, we're honored to have you on. Um, how we got uh, how we got. Uh, I guess, to know about you was really from an open letter you had uh, discussing what other people of color, particularly women, but also people of color go through in financial planning and the challenges that are unique to black people and, 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 and others. Talk about that and particularly um, talk about why you felt the need to put out this letter and this kind of open letter talking about the challenges, the discrimination that people don't see but that happens every day. Talk about why you felt it was necessary for you to do that and what you hope to gain from that. Yes, well, um, the letter, it was something that was on my heart for a very long time. Um, as, I, as I always say with any type of visibility or any type of success comes responsibility. And um, you know, when people just look at me, they, and, and they just read the articles that I've written or the accolades that I have earned over the 10 years that I've been a practicing financial planner, they say, oh, she has it all together. And they just come to me with their issues, concerns, their problems. Uh, and, and in conversation, I'm like, oh, listen, I've, I've dealt with this too. And so yeah. they see kind of like, this diamond, so to say, but as we know, in order to get a diamond, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of sanding and around the edges. And so they don't, I've never really shared my story in a very transparent and vulnerable way until last year, uh, when I had the opportunity to, uh, do a Ted talk type of uh, speech at the uh, CFP Diversity Summit. It was their first diversity summit. And I told the story about, um, you know, my hair. And for right. women, hair is something that is so important to us. And Tune and I can't relate. We have no hairs, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> We're both rocking the old man ball, but go listen, ahead. It's something that's really important to us. It, it's a way that we express ourselves. And um, so part of the letter... I shared was um, how, and I titled that section, your crown is your glory. And I'm, and I, and I say, yes, I'm talking about your hair. And for the longest time, uh, I would wear my hair straight or in a slick back bun. So similar to this, um, right. or, or in a bun. And 
one day I just got very comfortable. I, I need this client that was coming in. I was this, uh, in this client's, uh, life for about three years. I felt like we've gone from professional to not necessarily friend, but I can just let my hair down. So to say, right. Right. Um, and I decided to wear my hair naturally curly. Um, sometimes I do decide to straighten my hair like I'm doing today because I know I can maintain it in a way that is going to look how I want it to look during this video. Right. Um, and if I have curly hair, some, some days it's a good curl day and some days it's not. But, you know, I decided to wear my hair naturally curly that day because I felt comfortable. I didn't feel like I needed to... I don't know. I just felt you be be the corporately acceptable version of what people think of when they think what a financial planner is supposed to look like, which is yeah. not which they don't think like, you know, having having your hair naturally for a black woman is something that you should do. But right. people are going through that right every, every every single day. Like they I look at it as identity politics for what for what goes what happens on with what happens in corporate America. This is this is people think that's unique to politics. No, I mean, politics is yeah. is examining what happens in everyday life and identity whatever you want to call it, identity, corporate politics happens. How would you, so somebody navigates that. Like, how do you navigate that? You have, you know, one of- Hold on real quick, Rob. That's not the end of the story. (laughs) Oh, there's more. There's more. Okay. There's more. All right. Well, I'll sit back and listen. I I was premature. Go ahead. I'm setting the stage. I'm setting the stage. Okay. Set it, girl. Set it. Set it. Let's hear it. (laughs) So very comfortable, right? And just like you said, yes, for women and particularly for women of color, there's a lot of mental capacity that takes up our time on uh, how we are going to present ourselves based on who we are going to be in front of. And so what, again, naturally curly, I go to into the conference room. The client is the clients are already there. I hug the wife, embrace her. And then the wife, uh, excuse me, the husband embraces me. And then he holds me at my shoulder and say, Oh, Rianca, there's something different about you today. Ah, it's your hair. It's been more casual today, don't you think? And I was like, huh, casual. Now, this is a, a client, again, that I've, I've been meeting with for the past three years. This was kind of like my coming out moment where I was going to take the lead in majority of the meeting. And so I've been working with the senior advisor because it was going to be kind of like a transition of relationship happening over the course of that year. Right. And in that meeting, I I didn't have anything to say. My confidence, the confidence that I walked into that conference room having, it it sunk to the bottom of my feet. And I'm so happy the senior advisor saw my body language change from like, hey, how's it how's it going to kind of like like right. Um so and when the first time I, that happened to me, seven long, years ago. How long ago? I was going to ask you seven years ago. Okay. It was seven years ago. And I can still have, I have still have that feeling um, today. And when I shared that for the very first time on stage last year, so many women came up to me and was just like, thank you for sharing that story. Like I go through that every day. And, you know, if I decide to wear my hair in braids one week or a, a different week, people come up to me and, and even try to touch my hair. I'm like, wow, you have so many versatile styles and just yeah. all this other stuff. And I'm just like, wow. And so I'm like, okay, so 
I knew I wasn't the only one, but you don't know how important it is to talk about. You think right. it's something so small as your hair, but it's a confidence piece for us. Um, and so part of that letter was for those women who came up to me. Another right. piece of the letter um, was uh, basically helping to reassure that you are smart. And um, I took uh, a quote from The Help where uh, Viola Davis, her character, she was talking to this young uh, girl and she was saying, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. And it's because of how her mom was making her feel because she wasn't the pretty perfect little girl and daughter. And that's how I feel sometimes corporate America make us feel. If we don't fit into this box, this nice, you know, woman of color who don't, don't speak your voice and don't be opinionated. And if you do, they paint you in a different picture. Well, there's a black male side to that too. We call it the acceptable Negro. They try to make you Vivas. Go ahead. So there's an acceptable, like, an acceptable stereotypical format of what someone who is in corporate America, who happens to be black or a person of color should be, they should be this, they should be completely safe. They shouldn't be mm-hmm. too black, whatever the hell that means. Uh, but right. like, you have like to smile, a little, yes, smile a lot, a, a smile a lot, especially if you are a, a male who is black and very tall with, a. a a you know strong looking structure to yourself like you're always smiling it happens to my husband he played football yep. so oh yeah he's, he's a big four, person I- big guy and but he's the nicest guy in the world but but he always smiles when he's out in public because he doesn't want people to feel intimidated so, yeah so what do you think about like so let's women have to go through that a lot too and let, let's mm-hmm. let's talk about that you, it sounds like, and I saw this on one of your past episodes too, that, you know, you, you have a quote about not letting someone, someone else's insecurity take away your confidence. Mm-hmm. Easier said than done, you know, happened in your situation. So how did you grow, I guess, from that moment to, I guess, A, not allow someone else's insecurity to be your own. And then B, how do you navigate in the world where, you know, let's be honest, there, there is some, there is some navigating, straddling, whatever you want to call it playing of the the game to get to a certain point uh how do you manage that versus being your authentic self that you talk so much about it seems like a hard thing to straddle i would say it's it's definitely harder to straddle when you're in corporate america and you have to report to someone when you have an employer who writes your checks and i think that's why i have spoken out more since i've been my own boss because I don't report to anybody but my clients and my clients knows who I am. And so they are not, if anything, they're proud to say I'm their financial planner. I'm their financial advisor with the, the acts of service, the community service, the pieces I write about culture and money. They're, they're proud of me. And so I have aligned myself and my clients have aligned themselves with someone who can speak their truth which is why I write things like the open letter or uh, another article that I, that I wrote um, to be a voice, not the voice, but just one of the voices out there that are not afraid to speak their truth. Um, and so, yes, in corporate America, it is very hard. Um, and so how did you do it? How did you walk it when you were corporate America? Because a lot, you know, most of us still are not entrepreneurs at this point. And everybody can't be an entrepreneur. Either. So sometimes they have to start in corporate America. How would you navigate? How would you tell a, a, a young woman, a black woman who was where you were seven years ago to navigate? What would you say? You have to find your tribe. You have to find people 
around you that will tell you the truth. Um, and so that's what I had to do. I, I got strong black women around me so that when you, most of the time you have to shrink yourself in order to make other people around you feel comfortable and or and or not intimidated by your intelligence. And so that was what was happening to me in corporate America, where I was told I was a know-it-all. And I was like, well, I am a CFP. I did go to school. <laughs> you for must this. know something. Yeah. <laughs> you hired me. So I hope I know what I'm talking and about. And you know what's funny? Like when it, when it's a man, someone's like, he's assertive. He's taking the lead. He's being, you know, he's the type of, he's showing leadership ability. If it's a woman, it's like, well, you know, why is she so assertive? And you know what? And then That's if you don't. That's what was happening. That's what was happening. And I was, I am very fortunate. The very first firm that I worked for uh, trained me to the T. Like we, when I say I'm a comprehensive financial planner, I am comprehensive. I know how to read estate planning documents. I know how to read tax documents and know if there's errors. I know how to do everything. And so if I, I'm going to this new firm and I'm seeing some things that are not jiving or one document is not, you know, corresponding to the other, I am going to bring it up. And right. so it's now I'm basically highlighting things that may or may not have been done correctly but isn't that what you want? Don't we want to make sure that we're putting the client interest first or are you more worried about your ego? And yeah. I think it was the ego thing that happened. And so how to navigate that is one, just find your tribe, find women, men that you trust and you go back and say, am I tripping? Like, am I, and they have to let you know, like, yes, Rianca, you, you, you went a little too far right there. Right. And so, and then I'd be like, okay, I'll accept it. I'll take it. And other times it's like, no, you, that is the appropriate thing. That's exactly what I would have done. And so that's what kept me sane while I was in corporate America. I've been my own boss for the past four years. So you can see, um, the freedom's out. You feel power. <laughs> so how did you, so you talked about the hair incident. Uh, I wonder from a woman's point of view, what challenges you had just being a woman and, and how you might just, just talk about that because I'm sure, you know, in this, you have something about, and in one of your uh, episodes about dealing with, you know, your career in the Me Too movement. I'm curious, you, you, you know, we're, we're both in the, we're in the middle of the Me Too movement, but you were also in corporate America and rising in your career pre the Me Too era. Yeah. What do you, like, what were the challenges then? And what do you think the challenges are now? Because I think there's, there are some, of course, some great benefits to this too, but I think there are probably some unique challenges. What do you think the, the, the challenges were before and what do you think the challenges are now for a woman in the middle of this environment? Does my question make sense? Yes, and um, I can't speak directly to it. And I have been very fortunate that I have not been in any situation that has made me feel uncomfortable. Um, and... And I say I'm very fortunate because I know a lot of women advisors who yes. don't have the same story as me. Um, and I don't know if it's my RBS, <laughs> rest in B-face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say, I didn't know what that was. I was like, okay, All right, we're allowed to laugh because you laugh. Go ahead. <laughs> is, that just has this attitude that don't you dare try me. 
or I, I, I don't know what it is, but. So do you think that's, a, so let, let's play the other end of that because mm-hmm. I, I think what, what that plays to is the stereotype of an angry black woman. Right. Yes or no? Right. So then, <laughs> right. I mean, so like, yeah. it's, what are the challenges with that then? Cause the people present you all, she's, she might be, she, she's difficult. She's a know-it-all. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you balance that out of not being the, or not, getting past the stereotype, I guess, of the angry black woman? There's, there, there isn't for men, but I think there's a, there's a unique, I think, stereotype for women. I don't know. I'm still trying to navigate that every day. Um, I'm scratching my head on that one. So I, I don't know. So th- I mean, I, and I think people know me well enough to know that I'm very approachable. I'm very nice. Um, if you come, if, if I'm at conferences, I'm a very approachable, I, I'm never that person that's just like, Oh, I'm, I'm too busy to speak to you. Um, if anything, I give a lot of my time. Um, and I think my <laughs> reputation precedes me anywhere right. I go. Um, so again, I have also been very fortunate in, in that instinct to just be a person that is very approachable. And I say that RBF phase for if men <laughs> yeah, they out. can approach me in a sad way, they know that that's not acceptable. Right. No, it makes sense. Uh, being an entrepreneur. So you let's talk about your actual journey to becoming a entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of indicated that, you know, you wanted to essentially stop putting up with the BS politics of corporate America. Uh, how did you make that transition and what surprised you about the transition? Ooh, so the transition, I think the decision was made for me. The transition I definitely prepared for. Ooh, what okay. I mean by the transition was uh, the decision was made for me was that my health was in question. And so we see a lot of uh, women of color, a lot of black women in particular, having this high system statistics rate of being entrepreneurs but and we praise that and it's just like oh phenomenal and, and i think they're i think they're the leading entrepreneur right now they're, they're, they're leading. Up, right leading. a lot of people don't know that black women are the leader and it's in like, terms of being entrepreneurs right now good right but it's but my question is but why and for me i wanted you know part of that statistic for me, it was because of my health. And when I talked to other black women who be, have become entrepreneurs and have loved comp- corporate America, it was because of their health as well. Whether um, when they were pregnant, you know, they it was still in a very stressful environment. They got fired while on maternity leave, just different things like that. Or for me, it was, I was, in order for me to elevate to the next level, I couldn't be where I was. It was it was more so of God speaking to me saying, and, and he, he was speaking to me for about a year and I just wasn't listening. Instead of going off on my own the first time when I switched firms, I decided to go to a, a different firm. And he was like, okay, I see you hard headed. And so different small things started to happen Um, and then I started to get migraines and then the migraines became very debilitating where I had to get rushed to the ER. And then it became a point in time where it's just like, okay, my health is more important. And so different situations started happening where, where if, if the person that is your leader, your manager, the person that is going to be in charge of, if you get promoted or not, 
is already calling you a know-it-all, I already know there's a ceiling. That's probably not a good look. It's probably, yeah, yeah. I already know there's a ceiling. But I was still willing to play whatever I needed to do. Because it sounds like there was some fear there, right? There was some fear? Oh, for sure there was fear. How'd you get past the fear? My health. I was like, am I going to go insane (laughs) and, and, and end up in the hospital because of of these migraines or am I going to listen and just take that leap? And so it was the last time I went to the ER. I think it was maybe like the the third or fourth time. And I spoke to my husband. I was like, Reggie, I don't, I, I, I don't think I'm supposed to be in corporate America. And it was very hard because you become so content. You become very comfortable. I was earning a very good salary. Uh, you you walk away from a lot. You walk away from a salary. You walk yeah. away from benefits. You walk away from retirement plans. Um, none of that is given an entrepreneurship. Say, no, and it's stuff you have to learn. But thank God, I'm a financial planner, so I know what self employment retirement plans that I needed to, you know, open and all this other stuff. But not everyone has that same knowledge when they become entrepreneurs. So the decision was made for me. Now through the process, um, you know, I, if you have a significant other or a partner, it's so important for you to communicate that desire and goal them. So so you two can be on the same page. We went from a two income household to a one. And again, thank goodness I'm a financial planner. We never let lifestyle creep happen to us. And what I mean by that is anytime I got a raise or he got a raise, we didn't upgrade our life. Right. We, we didn't upgrade to the newest car. We didn't go from a, a two bedroom apartment now to a four bedroom apartment. We didn't mm-hmm. go from, you know, the house that we had to buying a bigger house, a little mini mansion. No, it was just like, okay, this is cool. You know, now we're just saving more. So the switch from a cash flow perspective wasn't that difficult because lifestyle creep didn't happen. Now, what I've noticed with entrepreneurs who decide to take the leap, they have to scale back and their lifestyle yeah. has to change. And also their mentality has to change too. What I mean by that is when you are an employee, you have an employee mindset. There's validations that happen to make sure you know that you're doing your job. Yeah, you're doing exactly. work, right? You hit a target, you did a good job, another review, yeah, right. a bonus. There, there is either someone telling you good job, right? There's that review that you mentioned where it's like, oh yeah, you're doing a great job. Here's a couple things that I want you to work on for next quarter, right? There's bonuses maybe that you can get, you know, let me get these targets. Let me respond to clients and all that other stuff. Every two weeks, there's this thing called direct deposit that hits your bank account. Right. Um, So all these validations of like, I just did all this work and here are some validators that tells me that I'm doing a good job. And right. I'm actually working as an entrepreneur. Those validations go away. You don't get the direct deposit. Nope. You don't get a manager telling you good job. You have to be self motivated. Period. All day, every day, every single day. And you know, you can work in the beginning. I was working 60 hours a week, more hours than I've ever worked for anybody else. But I was so happy because I was doing it for myself. I saw the dream. I saw the goal. So I had to shift my mind. As soon as I 
shift it. I had a conversation with my husband. I'm saying, listen, this is the plan. I don't know when it's going to happen, but this is the plan. I started saving my paychecks right. into, and, um, into just like a separate savings account. So, cause we didn't know when I was going to get my first client. And so we were going to use that money as a buffer for capital for my business or whatever the case may be. So I started saving my paychecks and then, um, you know, if we needed to, I shared it with my family and friends. I was like, listen, we can't say yes to every brunch. We can't go on these, you know, on these trips. And here's why. Right. And if they're your friend, if they're your family member, they should be like, cool, that's good. Like, let me, let me, how can, how can we support? Let's get word of mouth out there that you're about to start this business. Right. And so. Did that happen like to, you thought too? Let's talk about that after yeah. you, after you finish that. Yes. That's yes, good. It, it happened as, just as I thought. So, and again, I'm a planner. I plan to a T. So everything went as planned. Thank goodness. Um, How long did so, it take to get the build up though? Like, so you're talking, <clears throat> you, you, you quit your job. How long did it take before I guess you started making profit? Day week one. Oh, that's good. Because wow. I have a virtual practice. And so the overhead was already there. We pay our mortgage already. We pay our internet. We, there was a couple of pieces of technology that I had to invest into, but thank goodness. I have always been, um, an evangelist of personal finance. So I have, I have always spread it the good gospel of personal finance. And so when I finally opened my firm, people were like, finally, Thank you. I can become a client because the firms I work for, you had to have at least a million dollars of, of investable assets or more in order to become a client. And, and that was another reason why I decided to shift and start my own firm because I saw that there was a void in the market. I saw that there was a void of people like me and my husband or my single friends who were earning really great money at discretionary income. Yeah, they had student loans. We all do, but they were paying them off. Right. And there was no one serving them. They're like, listen, I'll pay you. I just don't have a million dollars of investable assets. Is there an alternative way for us to work together? And unfortunately, and the firms I work for. They never allowed they, you to work like, for those folks or have those people as clients. No. So I was like, okay, well, so when I finally opened up my own firm, people were like, yeah, thank goodness. And so I had my very first client the very first week I opened up my virtual doors. Right. Of your greatest contribution. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Tunde, do you have any, I know this is your kind of world Tunde. And, um, I don't know if you had any questions for her about her entrepreneur journey or not. And having gone through some of the same things. Oh, uh, no, it's, um, it's great hearing you, Rianca, cause it's a good reminder of, of the journey. I think most of us take, um, but I've got a few things written down here. I mean, I think, um, with, with relates to, I just got to see where I start. Cause you said a few things that, that resonated. Um, I think I'll start with the last stuff you talked about, which was, cause I think part of the journey of being an entrepreneur for me was you said something pretty profound, which was the, the walking away from corporate America. Um, part of it was also walking away from the friends and the culture that, mm -hmm. you know, you kind of have as an infrastructure when you go into a company as opposed to like you, I'm lean and mean, and you kind of just waking up the next day on your own, like, okay, so it's like, I know what to do as a financial planner, but I didn't realize about, you know, paying certain bills and, and expenses and really running a business. 
So that that's a learning curve. And, um, and also the part where you mentioned about the friends and family piece and telling people that you may have to, you know, you're going to have to tighten your, your, your belt a bit and you can't go to lunches. You can't go to dinners. That's I appreciate you saying that because what you just said after that was very important, which is your true friends and family will yep. understand. And I think for those of us, the three of us on the show, obviously we've had our own experiences that have led us to do what we're doing now. And the three of us are entrepreneurial, but there's a lot of people listening to us that, that are still looking to take that leap of faith or they just took it. And I think that's a great point you make, uh, Rianca, because it, when we're making these, these adjustments and these journeys and taking this, this leap of faith is very difficult. And a lot of it is faith. Mm. If yeah. I think for those that are listening, that are going through the journey now and starting having the right people around you that support you is the most important thing. Cause yeah. we all, yeah. we all going to make it or fail. And most of us can make it because we have the smarts, but it's the other intangibles like support, emotional support, all that. So um, that's, that's very important, but I commend you because listening to you, especially the, the story about the hair at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because that's the way I felt about ties and suits. Like, and Rob will laugh because he, he never sees me in a tie because never. I left corporate America. I felt like that was like the rope around my neck and I never wanted to feel it again. Mm. Um, but your comment made me appreciate the fact that there's a lot of things I don't have to put up with as a, yeah. as a man. And it made me, makes me realize, um, you know, it's interesting because in America, obviously, as 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 a black American, we have certain things we deal with in terms of you know cultural discrimination, all that. But I would say in financial services, I think I think being a male is is much more advantageous in general than even if like I feel I probably have it a little bit leg up as a black man than if I was a white woman. Yeah, because there's still a lot of people out there that believe that money is like a man's domain. Right. Especially a lot of the older generations. So yeah, that, that resonated me with me when you were talking about the hair and everything else. Cause it, it not only reminded me how difficult it is for women of color in not only this industry, but many, but it made me realize that as much as I sometimes think there's barriers on my end, um, you know, I'm still not in the same boat as someone like yourself who has to deal with the other stuff, including the me too and all that, which because it's funny when you talked about your husband, Rob and I fall in the same boat. Yeah, we do. I think yeah. You're six five. I'm six four. So we're always smiling too. When he said it, I'm like, yeah, I'm always out there. Luckily, I'm a natural smiler. But if I wasn't, I'd be in trouble probably. Yeah, so. Right, right. And you know, I, I think I thank God that my husband is that jolly, happy type person. Um, you know, because he shared with me stories like, you know, he was an elevator, and yep. you know, he had glasses on, and uh, an older white woman came into the elevator and was like, you should take your sunglasses off and I've had stuff like that too. And, and, yep. and held her purse really tight. And, and I was just like, what? what? And if I wasn't in the elevator, of course I would have probably said, you probably something. said something like, Hey, what are you talking about? Probably good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, but yeah. So it's a couple things that you, that you said, um, I wanted to go back on. And the one thing is I don't want women listening to have the takeaway that being a woman is a disadvantage in financial services. If anything, it's an advantage. And if you are a black woman or a woman of color, it's an advantage. And the reason why I say that is because 
when you are a woman and you walk into the room, nine times out of 10, you are probably going to be the only woman or a handful of women in that conference, in that happy hour, and whatever, if it's in financial services. So one, you stand out. Two, if you are a woman of color, you definitely stand out and you do not blend in. And we, as women of color, I am no longer afraid to wear color. So anytime I'm on stage, I'm in pinks, I'm in light, (laughs) bright blues. I'm in, you know, and I wear shoes that is not the standard black. You know, I, I dress to how I feel. And so you are going to stand out. And so there's an opportunity because people notice you, you don't blend in because you were born to stand out. And so take that as an advantage for learn who's going to be at that conference, know who it is that you want to make sure you have a connection with and make sure you beeline to that person because they're going to notice you. Um, And so that's an advantage. Another thing that you mentioned was about just the, you know, transitioning from an employee to, the, to an entrepreneur. Um, and I, I mentioned that I'm married. I have a very supportive uh, spouse who supports me in everything that I do. And I know that there are single women out there who also want to become entrepreneurs. And so there's, so a couple of things that have worked for, you know, other people who have transitioned is one, you do have to maybe downgrade your lifestyle for a while. Um, be, so that you can build that cushion while you're in corporate America. So instead of that two bedroom apartment, you do downsize to a one, um, and, or you do get a roommate. And so you're splitting half the cost of the rent or half the cost cost of the mortgage um, so that you can build that nest egg. Because again, when you finally leave corporate America, you don't know when you're going to get that first client or sell your first widget, sell your first product, your package or whatever the case may be. So take a look at your budget. And that's (laughs) something I tell my clients. That's something I tell everyone. We are afraid of the B word, the budget, but it runs everything that we do. And it can tell us, where, where are some of the areas that we can, um, you know, decrease or reduce while we're on this new journey? And the last thing is, while I've been painting this entrepreneur journey in a very <clears throat> nice light, um, it's something that you also mentioned. When you do have that shift, it is a culture shock in a sense of you don't wake up getting dressed, having to get dressed or putting on that tie or straightening your hair or putting on the makeup. Um, and you don't have the water cooler talk. You, you don't go out to lunch with your buddies. Yeah. Anymore. That was is that hard? Yeah. Is that, is that, is that, was, that hard? Was, it, was that a hard transition doing that? Oh, that? Yeah. 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 It was, um, I got depressed and I didn't know I was depressed until yeah. my friends was like, Re, I, I don't, I don't know if you're doing right. too well in, in a sense of, but it's like, but how am I depressed? Right. Because it's like, I'm doing everything I want to do. Yeah. I'm building a firm. I'm getting clients. I'm earning money. I'm not scraping for why am I sad? And I'm like, I didn't know how much weight I put on human interaction. Period. Yeah. Right. And so all the, all um, the political dynamics in an, in an office yeah. setting. Yeah. 
and and how actually getting dressed makes you feel good, right? So I was just rolling out of bed. Bye, honey. You know, I still have yeah. my PJs on. If I didn't have a client meeting that day, I might not have brushed my teeth. I don't know, you know? <laughs> um, so, so, but and then you kind of lose yourself. I put on so much weight. You know, I, I, I couldn't recognize the person I was becoming. And so I was like, okay, you need a routine. So here's some of the things I tell entrepreneurs. One, stick to your routine. Two, get dressed in the morning, take a right. shower, brush your teeth and wash your face. And, um, you know, definitely go out on lunches with people who, who may also be entrepreneurs so they right. can just meet you. Um, or stay connected, not necessarily with the people that you left in corporate America, but you know, you'll gain other friends and new friends and make sure you just get out of the house. Um, I also got a co-working space, uh, where I would just leave the house. Um, and I was able to meet really cool people. Some people became clients when they found out, uh, what it is that I do. Um, and so definitely get out of the house. Right. Uh, or you will get depressed. <laughs> so a couple of things with that. What, 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 what routines did you implement? What do you think are your most important routines to keep you, you know, not only on task, but you know, not depressed and, and, and to not get and to stay strong mentally, spiritually, physically, what are your, what are you, what, what, what does your routine look like as an entrepreneur now? Well, my routine has shifted, um, over the past uh, four or five months because I'm pregnant now. But oh, well, that's gonna make Congrats. a different routine. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, but before uh, I uh, would wake up every day, same time, and uh, go to the gym every morning. That's how I started my morning. Uh, make sure I eat breakfast and I start my workday the same time every day. Uh, it's very easy to slip into um, working until 8 PM at night and your work becomes your life. But I encourage you to get friends that will tell you your kids going to solve that problem for you. Don't worry. That's about, that's well, over. <laughs> that, that I, I keep hearing about that, Rob. Yes. So, um, but you know, and, and now, you know, becoming pregnant, transitioning to becoming a working mom or, you know, a working mom who's a business owner, that has been a shift for me too, because, you know, I, there's this mom tribe that is invisible until you become a mom. And, and they came out the woodworks. I'm like, what? <laughs> but it's been so encouraging and so, um, and, and so supportive uh, because we do have days and this is maybe something I'll write about after the baby comes and I come back from maternity leave and all the other stuff. But there are some days where you physically cannot do anything. Um, and, and you have to be so kind to yourself because your body is basically living for someone else for nine, 10 months. Ooh, until well. that baby comes. Uh, if men know? have to do that, the world would just be over, I think. So just Listen, so you know. <laughs> there will be, no be no more children. Women are strong. <laughs> I think you two know that and all of your listeners. <laughs> we are very strong. And so be kind to yourself. And then also, um, you know, I was afraid of letting my clients know. And it's so crazy, right? I'm going to ask you about that. Like, how did you navigate that? Yeah. 
again, being a business owner, being the lead financial advisor, uh, you think you have all these assumptions in your head about how your client is going to react. I remember when I first took two weeks off in the first three years of, of running my business, I never took time off. But I took two weeks off and it was because I... Which is a bad idea. I'm sure you learned that lesson too. No, that was a great idea. No, to not take time off. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. See, that's I what I'm saying. so many burnouts. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Rob, take time <laughs> off. Um, but I had just met my family from Chile. Um, I'm Chilean and black. And so my dad is from Santiago. There, there's a whole story about that. And so it was important for me to disconnect from work. But I was so afraid of telling my clients like, I'm going to be off for two weeks. But and, I sent and, and, and just think about this for a minute, just on that mm-hmm. point. You know, part of, I'm sure, why you became an entrepreneur, why all of us did, because, because, to have more freedom. And then you end up having less freedom because <laughs> like, you, you trap yourself. Because we, we put these assumptions in our head about expectations and all this other stuff that, that we think our clients have on us. And, and we are making it harder on ourselves. So I sent an email out three weeks before I was heading off to Chile. And I was just explaining to my clients what was happening. Clients love to know about you, right? They share so much about themselves to you for you to kind of like pull back the curtain and be like, oh, Rianca is actually a human as well. That makes for a better relationship with clients. And that's what happened. I sent an email like, listen, if you need to meet with me, if there's anything urgent before this date to this date, let me know. And everybody was like, Rianca, have a great time. This is amazing. We'll be following you on Instagram. Um, if we email you, it's only just for I not email us back. I was like, I have the best clients in the world, but they know without a shadow of a doubt, I work hard as hell for them. And so you've established a trust. So I established trust and clear expectations. And how did you go about getting clients too? I want to talk about that after you finish that point about getting, okay. how do you know to, to go in after clients that align with your disposition and align with your passion. How did you go? How did, how did you go about that? Cause I know you've talked about that before and yeah. as someone just starting off, how, how, how would you advise someone to go after clients? Cause choosing your clients, you can get, I'm sure you have lots of options. You could get, you could probably have gotten the same type of clients at corporate America. There's probably a cost to that. Talk about choosing after you finish your point there, <laughs> okay. choosing the right clients and going about that. So after that, so I, Okay. And, um, so that same mentality I I brought to, when I found out I was pregnant, I was like, Oh, this is great. But dang, how are my clients going to react? Like I'm, I am going to take a maternity leave. It's not going to be two weeks. It's going to be three months, you know? And I'm just like, what, what are, what are they going to say? And all this other stuff. And, um, I was slowly telling clients and they were just so overjoyed and happy. I have small business owner clients. And so there were some moms starting to say, Oh, download Marco Polo so that um, you're going to be up breastfeeding 2 a.m. in the morning, or you're going to be up trying to calm the baby. And so you can send a video if something is on your mind. And then when your team wakes up, they can just watch it and you can see who's watched it to, to know if you need to reach. I was just like, what? So again, like I had this fear of sharing it with my clients because I'm thinking they're thinking, well, what about me? Right. But they know I'm already three steps ahead of them because I'm already in my mind thinking, who's going to be my backup? 
Um, what am I going to, how am I going to make sure that they're still taken care of? I know when I'm going off on maternity leave, I know it's going to be around tax time. So we need to right. do a couple of things ahead of time. And so they, they just know me. Um, and, and you've so, established, again, I think it's very important for folks to understand, once you've established trust and it's a two-way yeah. relationship, like you're not, I'm sure you're not there just to, you have to make money, but you're, you, your, your relationship is not fully transactional. It sounds like you, you do everything no. you can to develop a long-term, dynamic, mutual relationship. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, my clients, we follow each other on social media. I'm an I'm a older millennial. I'm uh, a- So are uh, we. We're proud uh, of you. We're a seasoned millennial. Well, I don't know about two days. Seasoned millennials. Yeah, I don't know. I think think we're Gen Xers, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're you're older than me. I don't know. I think think we got in the last year. (laughs) So I'm a seasoned millennial, and majority of my clients are either millennials or Gen Xers. So we didn't grow up with social media around the college, my college years is when social media came. So we're we're very comfortable with sharing our life on social media. A lot of my clients follow me on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. So they see what's happening in my life. And there were some clients I wasn't able to tell before we made the announcement um, on social media. And, and they reached out to me and they were sending me emails like, oh, my gosh, I just saw the news. Congratulations. And it's a two way street, you know, um, a, a client of mine, uh, her dog, she had you know, this dog for maybe 10 years and she went off on vacation and had a family member watch the dog for her and her dog drowned in the pool. And I saw that the client didn't share that with me, but I, I saw that on social media because I follow my clients and I reached out to her and I'm like, cause I, I, every time we have a meeting, the the dog is in her lap. So I know how important pets are family members are an extension of our family. And so I reached out to her, sent her a car and all this other stuff. And so how I find my clients is word of mouth, honestly. Um, and, and I've always been this person. Um, when I was in college is when I found out about personal finance, that you can have a career in personal, in personal finance. And so, um, since then, I've always spread the good gospel of personal finance. If there was something that I learned that I felt that I feel like the next person could benefit from, I shared it. And so don't be afraid to give away information for free because they're like, if she's giving this away, right. you must know more. And this is great information, but how does this pertain to my situation? And that's how it happens, honestly. Yeah. I think the universe just aligns with people who knows my personality. I, I have so much fun with my clients. You know, I have a client right now. Um, I know she's a huge game of Thrones fan. Oh um, yeah. I'm, and, I am too. You watch so, game of Thrones. Did you watch it? Tunde, did you watch? No, I don't watch game of Thrones. Oh, okay. well, Okay, this interview. My, is my wife started. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, one yeah, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, day. Yeah, you had to ruin the movie. Anyway, we're here. So, Go ahead, talk. So Game she of has Thrones. a robe on, right? Again, I meet with all of my clients just like this. 
So she has a robe on. I think she it was a long day and she and it was like fur. And I was like, oh my gosh, you look like you just came back from dinner, you know, with Game of Thrones or something like that. She's like, oh my gosh, yes, I love Game of Thrones. So the next meeting I had, I was telling her about this blanket that it looks like a cloak, like a fur cloak from Game of Thrones. Yeah, like Jon Snow, like John, Jon like Snow. John, yeah. Like Jon Snow, right? Yeah. So the next meeting <laughs> we started. I, I put the blanket on me. I was like, well, hello. You know, and we talked yeah. and I said, I was like, Game of Thrones. And Winter is coming. Yeah, laughing. sorry. Tunde doesn't get any of these references. So. She's dying <laughs> laughing. And then I just take it off. I'm like, girl, I'm too hot. And she, and, but that's like, I can bring myself right. to my clients. And she, again, there's people who are now becoming my clients. I've either have connected with in college. They are friends of clients. Um, they follow me on social media. They see, and I've always been a sharer. I'm not an oversharer, but I, I do share like what's happening with my business, right. with, you know, family, whatever the case may be. And I think they just see that, wow, she's not only intelligent, she's a financial advisor, financial planner, and she's a real human. Right. You're, you're, you're not afraid to be your authentic self. You're yeah. comfortable with who you are in all its glory and flaws. And you just, you just say it. Listen. When you come to a financial planner, it's the most intimidating thing that you'll probably have to do. You are financially undressing, ready to get judged by someone else. Right. right. And I set that expectations very early on. Listen, I'm not here to judge your past. I'm here to help you for your future. However, we do have to take a look at what has happened in the past so that if there's any habits, any behavior things. So I know about, so I know how to support you as a client going forward. And it, it puts them at ease. But a lot of us, a lot of the time, you know, before the house cleaner comes, right? What do we do? We clean the house right. because they don't, you really don't want people to see how dirty your house can get. Right. And so it's like, okay, let me, let me, let me make the bed. Although that's probably what they're really going to be doing. Let me sweep up a little bit. Right. And that's what people do with finances. Instead of, you know, coming to us when they need to, and it's time to, they're like, no, no, no. I'm going to just wait till I pay off this debt before right. I, I go. And it's like, no, we have the tools. We can help you do that more easier, more, you know, so it's less stress. And so that you feel like, and you know, you have a trusted person, who is looking to and helping you in your best interest. And it sounds like because you're willing to share your own vulnerability, they're more comfortable doing so as well. Yeah. And, and so talking about if it's vulnerabilities, I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but you know, being kind of the first in your family to be successful, uh, particularly for black people, um, carries a burden in some ways. Talk mm -hmm. about how you deal with that when sometimes you're, you're, you know, you're the only one who's seen as, first of all, you're seen as sometimes ultra rich when you're not, but then second, how do you deal with, <laughs> right? How do you deal with that added pressure? Did you talk uh, to my family ahead of this? No, I, I, <laughs> I didn't have to. All of us have the experience probably one way or another. Listen, when they first came to our house and mind you, we live in a townhome, right? It's three story townhome, but you couldn't, you couldn't tell my family we wasn't rich because we moved out of Norfolk, Virginia. You know, we moved to Maryland. So like, oh, she made it like, oh, that's, this is the rich cousin. This is the rich auntie. Yeah. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you know? So, but yes, um, 
Uh, I mean, there is, and, and I think the reason why I'm so successful with a lot of my clients is because they are first-generation college graduates as well. And so not only am I helping clients um, do well with the finances that they have now, I'm helping them navigate family conversations because I had to do that. Right. I started out earning both of my parents at the age of 26, and it felt weird. Because I was like, okay, now I'm the breadwinner of the family, not only of my family, I was married at 26. So not only of my family, that family, but like my family, I'm out earning everybody in my family. And so you feel this burden, this financial burden to be able to financially support everybody. And so it's like... There, it took a, it literally took a village to raise me. And so now it's like, now I need to go back and help support this village. And if you do that, the MC Hammer effect is going to happen. Yeah, where, and yeah, exactly. The MC Hammer. What happened to MC Hammer? Just so people, people we're again, we're the old, you're the older millennials. I guess uh, Tunde said we're Gen Xers, but whatever. Um, <laughs> <it's>, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, with MC Hammer and for the younger millennials, the less seasoned millennials, go go back and see who MC Hammer is, you know, but he became bankrupt because he literally took the whole block with him. Everybody, and the whole hood, everybody. Listen, Mamas, cousins, brothers, sisters, second everybody. cousins, third, everybody. Everybody, not everybody, <laughs> everybody. And so while I'm not saying don't do that, there is a point in your career where you can do that. And I wrote an article on CNBC where it, it's, it shares how we have to put our financial oxygen mask on first before we help others. And what we do is we prematurely take off our financial oxygen mask and start putting it on everybody else. Yeah, And then everybody dies. The plane goes everybody down and dies. we all dead. We all drown. <laughs> Right. Right. Because because if you are the breadwinner and if you can no longer take care of yourself, who is going to help you? And it's really trying to overcome some of the what I call generational habits that came just from just not knowing and and understanding how money works. Like if you get a business, like I tell people, like, look, at least at a middle, you help people out, put them on a business. (laughs) So at least you can have some deductions. Yes, exactly. (laughs) If you're going to, if you're going to hire, if you can, can. I'm about to say, I don't advise hiring lots of family, but if you got the right type of family members, at least make sure you you know, you're, you're financially wise about it, which is why you should get a financial planner. Tune day. I know you want to jump in. No, I was, I was going to ask Rianca just to go back a little bit on, on your own experience because you shared a lot of valuable things. Um, including the journey of becoming a mother while being an entrepreneur. Um, but at the beginning is before we part here. Um, you mentioned about sharing your own, I guess, good and bad with clients to kind of help break the ice. And I I commend you for that because I found the same thing that a lot of people come to folks like us and assuming that everything on our end is so perfect. Mm-hmm. And they're almost ashamed to kind of bring, right. you know, show us their warts in a sense. Yeah. So I guess talk to us maybe for, for the audience, like for those people listening that, that have something that they want to share with someone like you or I, you know, professional that they need help. Maybe talk to those people about how to gain the confidence to come and see someone like you, you know, like, yeah. like what would you say to somebody that says, I feel like I'm not big enough for you. 
or I've got too, too many problems, you know, like, I don't want to bring my stuff to you. Like, what would you say to that? Well, you know, my hope is that, um, if now I'll, I'll share, I'm not the right financial planner for everybody. And before I take on a client, we have what is called like an intro call where it's like 30 minutes. It's an opportunity for me to get to know you, for you to get to know me, my process, my experience and see if you like me and if I like you. Right. And so it's my hope. And this is what I do. If I'm not the right financial planner for you, I'm going to send you some referrals. So it's my hope that it, it, sometimes people can take that as a form of rejection, but more so it's like, I know I, I'm not the right person for you, but here are two other financial planners who I know who can help support you in the journey and the phase of, of where you are right now. So that's one thing to, to, if just reach out. Right. And Another thing is I am a strong advocate of the CFP designation, which is the certified financial planner designation. Um, so if you're looking for a financial planner, I highly encourage you look for a CFP. Um, what that means is that, uh, you know, this person has the four E's. They have the education, they have the experience, they pass an exam, and they have to adhere to high ethical standards. And so very similar to a doctor, right? When you go, either yourself or a family member uh, has to go in for major surgery, what are we doing, right? We are Googling the heck out of that doctor. We want to make sure they're board certified, right? They have that continuing education. They have been certified. They've taken all their exams. They're up to date. They don't have no derogatory comments or remarks. Um, on them because we want to make sure we're putting our family member or ourselves in the best hands of a medical practitioner. The same is true when it comes to a financial planner. You want to make sure that you're putting yourself in the best possible hands of someone who's going, who is adhere to a high ethical standards and also has the education to be able to support you where you are in your financial journey. Um, also read their website I'm very clear on who I work with. Um, and while I could work with everybody, I know the impact I make with first-generation college graduates, with first-generation wealth builders, with those who are transitioning from being employees to entrepreneurs or small business owners. I know the impact that I can make in those clients' lives. And so that's why I choose to to specifically work with those clients and also thriving professionals. I mean, you can be, you know, you know that you're an expert in your field, yet you know you're not an expert in personal finance and you're ready to have a partner and delegate um, those responsibilities to someone. And so then you, you call on me. So review, one, see if they're a CFP. Two, um, make sure that they are a comprehensive financial planner because you just don't want someone selling you insurance and then three read their website see what type of clients that they work with um and see if, if you will like working with them you have an advertisement a billboard or, or a google ad or whatever that can be your saying it could be your motto what would that say and why uh you know there is a um a Tupac Shakur uh, 
quote that I love. Tupac. All right, we're talking now. Go ahead. Tupac. And uh, uh, hopefully I don't misquote it. Let me see. Do I have a shirt? I have it on a shirt. <laughs> it says, I may not. Ah, uh, now I have to get the shirt. Hold on. Got to get Tupac right. Uh, you, oh, you got it. Okay, you got the shirt on you. All right. Here it is. All right. It says, I'm not saying I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the brain that would change the world. Hey, well, that's a good way to end. Rihanna Doorsville, I appreciate you being on. We're going to have... Uh, in the episode, links to how you can get in contact with her, uh, links on some of her prior shows or podcasts. It's great to have you on, and uh, you have to come on again. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.